hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. We have a full show for you. In just a few minutes, Michelle Cooper is going to be joining us. And if you don't know Michelle, she's head of the Women's Wealth and Wellness Platform here at the group. And in addition to that, she's also an estate planning attorney and financial advisor. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and have Michelle on about once a month this summer to talk about estate planning issues because I think they're important. And that way we can get her to share some of her insights on specific topics. She also happens to be working on a new book that's coming out this Uh, this fall. So we'll have her on in just a few minutes. But first, let's take a quick look at the market. When I step back, it seems to me that the market indices are struggling a bit, with maybe the exception of the NASDAQ. And that's even though the 12-month forward earnings estimates continue to march higher. One problem is that a lot of the good earnings news was priced in earlier in the year. And right now, the number of items that could take the markets to new highs appear to fall well short of the number of potential landmines that could take the markets down, not the least of which is the ongoing pain in the emerging markets and the return of financial stress in the Eurozone debt markets. But closer to home, Earnings estimates continue to climb higher for the second quarter, and that's after a fantastic first quarter when overall earnings for the market rose nearly 25%. Right now, we're looking at somewhere of around 20% earnings growth for the second quarter. So, over the last few months, earnings have been rolling in, and stock prices have remained roughly the same. That means that the market has gotten cheaper. No, it's not cheap, but it's cheaper than it was. You need to still be cautious because as I said, there are a number of things out there that could potentially derail us. Let me give you some good news. Everyone loves good news, right? The latest JOLTS report, that's the Job Openings in Labor Turnover Survey. We know that employment has been pretty darn good. If you're looking for a job, well, this is a pretty good time to be out there looking. The latest JOLTS report shows the number of job openings outpaced the number of job seekers for the first time since 2000. The Institute of Supply Management, that's the ISM, that report shows the economy growing at a 3% clip. And then you see the U.S. trade deficit. Well, it's narrowed over the last two months, which should give the second quarter GDP growth a lift. And that supports the Atlanta Fed's model, which shows the economy is growing at a 4% plus rate, 4%. Even with all that good stuff that's happening, well, I don't expect much from the market over the very near term. And I, I guess I should put in a disclaimer here. I'm not a market timer. And if I were, I probably wouldn't be a very good one. But I don't expect much as we wait our 
way into the summer. Longer term, I think the chances are pretty good that we'll end the year higher, possibly at all-time highs. Let's talk about the consumer staples, specifically household product companies. And I mentioned these about a month ago. Almost all the household product companies have reported earnings ahead of estimates. And we're starting to see sales pick up too. You've also seen some pricing power, which is really going to be key in keeping rising commodity prices in check. And basically, you're seeing all this good stuff and the market has ignored it. The group hasn't been rewarded for improving operating fundamentals. And the group is at the cheapest level it's been, I think, this decade. That's why we're looking at it. Compelling valuations and improving fundamentals. My favorite among them, Procter & Gamble, symbol PG. Right now, it's trading around $77. So it's moved up over the last month when we last talked about it. Right now, it's trading at about 18 times earnings and about 16, 17 times next year's earnings guesstimate of about $4.50 per share in earnings next year. This type of stock is one that the market usually pays a premium for. And they pay that premium because of its predictability and the relative safety. But at the moment, they just don't want to pay up for those qualities like they used to. As a matter of fact, it's trading near the bottom of the range that it has, that it's traded at over the last 15 years. And relative to the market, it hasn't been this cheap in almost 15 years. People want to see growth in the numbers. And frankly, Procter & Gamble has fallen short over the last several years. But I believe P&G is turning the corner here. They've sold off se- uh, several brands and they've refocused on their more profitable ones. There's been a change in the boardroom, which I think over time will be a positive. What they do well is generate free cash flow. Now, you know I love free cash flow. Last year, it was just short of $10 billion. And you can look back and you can see that they have a strong track track record of returning free cash flow back to the shareholders. Last year, in total, they returned nearly $22 billion back to the shareholders through dividends, shares, share exchanges, and buybacks. They paid... Uh, just over $7 billion in dividends. They increased the dividend by 3%, which is the 61st consecutive annual increase and the 127th consecutive year that Procter & Gamble has paid that dividend. They paid one every year since they've been incorporated. And that was back in 1890. They've also reduced the shares outstanding by more than $14.6 billion or that's $14.6 billion. And that's through a combination of share repurchases and shares exchanged in the sale of their specialty beauty brands to Cody. Now, this is a company that's in the process of change, as I said, and I'm hopefully going to be able to buy it when it's at the cheapest it's been in a long, long time. While I'm waiting for that change, I'm getting a 4% dividend that will likely grow. But since I'm cheap, and you know I'm cheap, I can squeeze a dollar and make it scream. Since I'm cheap, I'm going to be a buyer under 72. I know it's about $5 above that, 
but I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait. I want to be a buyer under 72. Now, let's step away, take a short break. When we come back, we'll have our guest on, Michelle Cooper, and we'll be talking about estate planning. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, and sitting across from me today is another partner here at the XML Financial Group, Michelle Cooper. Michelle's been on before. Hopefully you listened to that broadcast. But if you don't know Michelle, Michelle's a lawyer. She has an MBA. She's a smart cookie. She also runs the Women, Wealth, and Wellness section of XML. So it's XMLW. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, Eric. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Glad to be here. I know a little something about you that some of the folks may not know. And that is you are writing a book. I am indeed, yes. And it's called... I still got me a women's, uh, a widow's journey to finding love, happiness, and financial independence, right? That is correct. Okay. Tell us a little bit about the book. When's it coming out? This book is going to be coming out this fall Uh and it is um, my story, basically the loss of my first husband, how I dealt with that and found love again. And along that journey, discovered many, many things that I think would be helpful for other women to know. And I have decided to write a book so that I can not only share what I went through, but also empower women financially by sharing stories and real life examples that people can connect with. Yeah. And I'm very open and honest in the book. Yeah. And it's a very uplifting story. I've, I've seen parts of it and that's really why you're on here today. And as a matter of fact, we're going to have Michelle on probably once a month to, to kind of go through some of the ideas in her book. Cause I mean, they're really fantastic. And one of the ones that struck me and it's appropriate for the time of year is you've talked about what you should ask yourself before you go off for summer vacation. Are you planning on going any, anywhere this year? Yes. I have a few trips planned. Very excited about them. One of them is coming up, uh, let's see, next week, yeah. taking the kids to the beach, uh, sort of a, you know, school's finished and let's start the summer off fun. Yep. Get our toes sandy. Excellent. Yep. Excellent idea. So what questions are you asking yourself from a financial perspective before you head away for the summer? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I always think about, and I think I share this with a lot of parents is if something happens to me, uh, especially when I'm not with my children, do I have my documents in place to make sure that the wealth that I've created is going to be transferred the way I want it to? Right. I'm also thinking, you know, I've got young children. Do I have someone named in a document to take care for them? So a court is not going to step in and decide who's going to care for my kids. Right. 
So, so it's important to have all these documents together. I mean, that's, that's one thing I tell all our clients and I'm sure you do the same thing. Well, of course you do because you're a lawyer, right? (laughs) Make sure you have your trust, your wills and what else should we medical directives? What else am I missing there? Well, the first thing you want to ask yourself is number one, have I put anything in place yet? And there's probably a lot of you who still haven't done anything. You might be married for several years. You might be a single mom. You might be divorced, um, but you got to start somewhere. So what I'm telling you is please don't keep putting it off and let me tell you how to get started. A basic estate plan is really comprised of five documents. The first one is a will. And what is a will? It's a document that spells out your intentions on how you want to leave your property to whether it's kids, relatives, charity. It just says how you want to leave things. And then the other main. uh, And if if I don't have a will and I pass away, I die in what? Intestate, right? Yeah, intestate. And some judge decides how all my stuff gets divvied up. Well, first we start with whatever the state law is. So if you live in Maryland, DC, Virginia, or any of the other 50 states, we're going to look to see what the state statutes say. And typically what they say is that property is going to pass to the next of kin, meaning your spouse, children, siblings, parents, and depending on the state you live in, it might be percentages being divvied up to those different groups of people. Now, you know, you and I are talking here and I said, Eric, how do you want to leave your assets to your family? It probably isn't going to be exactly what this, you know, Commonwealth of Virginia says. It gets very complicated very quick, especially if you've been married multiple times and you have, you know, different kids, a blended family, so to speak. So, yeah, I can see, you know, it gets complicated real quick. So having that will is, is important. Having the will is important. Uh, We touched on that the will describes how you want to leave your assets. The other really important thing that a will does, it's going to name a guardian who is going to care for your minor children in the event you are not able to. Right. And again, if you don't have a will, uh, to your point, a court is going to decide. So a judge that doesn't know you is going to look at all the you know, potential options there are out there and make a decision on who's taking care of your kids. And that is something that, you know, I fear myself as a parent because I want to make sure my kids are cared for by the person or people that I choose, right. not someone I, I don't have a relationship with. Right. And that can be a quickie, uh, a, a tricky decision too. And I think it actually holds some people back You're because they're thinking right. about, okay, yeah. who's going to, Who's going to raise my daughter if something happens to, to me or, and my wife? Mm-hmm. Who's going to raise, you know, am I putting a burden on them? Is it, do they live like how I want to live? And, and you have all those questions. And I think sometimes that actually is a deterrent to, for people to go out and do their will. Let's talk about that. It okay. certainly is a deterrent. And, you know, there's specific reasons why it's a deterrent because it's a very difficult conversation to have Mm -hmm. with not only your partner or your spouse, but also the people that you're thinking about naming. Right. So a couple tips I have in that area is number one, don't keep putting the decision off. Go home tonight before you leave on your vacation and say, honey, you know, we haven't updated our wills or we haven't even done a will yet. 
let's get this done. Let's talk about who do we want to name as guardian for our kids? And you want to think about responsibility, who is going to be able to handle having, you know, more mouths to feed or, or children in the mix. You might supply the necessary funds to raise your child, but they have to have the time and the desire to want to help you with that. So usually relatives are the first people we think of. Right. So have the conversation with your spouse and you might not just name one guardian, you might name one, um, you know, initial one and then a contingent. So you can have family members from both sides named in your document. You can also name a husband and wife to act together. And if they're divorced, then you might not choose them. You can get as creative as you want to when you're thinking about who to name as guardian. Right. So that's the first step. The second step or tip is once you've come up with one, two, or three people to actually go to them and say, you know what, Eric, I've named you in my will. Probably never going to happen. It's just like you're on an airplane and you listen to how to take the mask and put it on yourself and then your kids, you listen to it, but you know, it's probably not going to happen. Same thing with picking a guardian. You want to at least communicate to that person so they can say, you know, I'll handle it if the time comes. If they say, you know, Eric, look, I'm very honored that you named me, but this is just something I would have to, you know, decline in the event I was called upon to serve, you know, that's not a good choice. So let's not leave it up to chance. Let's address these somewhat difficult issues and have a clear mind. Right. It's somewhat like exercise, right? You wake, sometimes you wake up and you don't feel like doing it, but once you do it and it's done, you feel great about it. So, so that better. sounds kind of like this, that's this, right. this issue with guardian and, and, and your will. Now that's kind of set up for a certain stage in your life, right? Cause your kids are going to mature as you get older, obviously. And then that's not a big question anymore. So let's talk about the, uh, you said there were five pieces to this Mm -hmm. estate plan Mm -hmm. and it's the will. What are the other ones? Okay. So uh, a companion document to a will, depending on the state you live and depending on how onerous the probate laws are, is called a revocable living trust. And a revocable living trust is otherwise known as a will substitute, and it allows people to avoid the probate step. So what is probate? Probate is the process of filing and proving you have a will with the state where you live. And it is time consuming. It can be expensive. And you typically have to hire a lawyer to do this for you. Right. So if you've ever been to probate or through probate, you know, you don't want to do this again. Right. Most likely that's the case. <laughs> okay. If you've ever been named as a personal representative or an executor and it took tons of time, you know uh, how onerous the process can be. Right. So in states where probate is expensive and time consuming, typically what lawyers will do is have a document called a revocable living trust, mm-hmm. which is accompanied by what's called a pour over will. Pour over. Pour over, P-O-U-R. And the analogy is that you're pouring in all the assets that you didn't uh, have retitled before you passed away. So I envision like this cold pitcher of beer and I'm pouring into my trust all those assets that are in that beer pitcher into the trust so that they're properly distributed with the provisions of the trust. Good summer analogy. 
That's right. Now we need to throw <laughs> throw in the crabs on top of the yeah. beer here. Yeah. Um, how about medical directive? Medical directive is very important. So there's two documents that deal with medical care. One of them is a healthcare power of attorney. And this document uh, gives your agent or your attorney, in fact, the authority to act on your behalf whenever a medical decision has to be made. An example might be you are in the hospital and they're deciding on a specific operation. You're not able to communicate with your doctor, but you have this power of attorney in place and your agent speaks with a doctor and says, do it this way versus that way. There's also what's called a medical director or, or, or an, excuse me, an advance will. And that says, hey, I'm in the hospital. I'm in a vegetative state here and I don't want to live this way. So please disconnect whatever is keeping me alive, the feeding tube, and you know, let me go in peace. And that spells out your intentions. Now, your power of attorney can also give your agent some discretion there. But this document is basically saying, this is what I want. And this is what I want you to decide for me in the event I'm not able. And that's helpful um, when times are stressful. When you're in the hospital, God forbid that happens to you. Having these documents in place can really ease the burden on your loved ones. Mm -hmm. As difficult as these conversations are, it will be helpful in the event something happens. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about something here where I go through all this process, right? And, and really we're, we're talking about the trust for some, in some respect for tax planning, right? So I, my trust pops up. So it, you know, I take advantage of my tax credit and my wife can use it. But if something happens to both of us, mm-hmm. right, then I have the will. I have, I'm all set there. The guardian, of course, which we've talked about, right. not, of course, not your spouse if you're married or your partner or, or what have you. Yep. But when it comes to the medical directive, I would think, okay, well, I'll just name my wife or you'll name your husband, mm-hmm. but go back to scenario A. If something happens to both of you, um, yeah. knock on wood. So do you name a contingent yeah, you certainly person do. in that case? In, in both uh, the healthcare power of attorney and also the financial power of attorney, which we didn't talk about yet, you're going to name a primary and you're going to name a contingent. You can even name someone after that. You can even have two people working together for those decisions. So again, be as creative as you want. Think through this however you want. And sometimes you might not name your spouse because a spouse might not make the decision that you want uh, in an emotional time. Right. Uh, you know, in, in my own situation, I'm, I'm pretty emotional and I don't know whether I would be able to carry out my husband's wishes in a health situation. So he might name my brother. Right. Um, it all depends on your family dynamics and, uh, you know, who you think would be best for that role. But again, you want to talk to them and yeah. see if they would want to take that on. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I can see a lot of complications there too. So, so what's the other document we're, we're missing here? Well, we talked about having five. So we talked about the will, revocable trust, healthcare power of attorney, advanced directive. That fifth one is a financial durable general power of attorney, which gives your agent or attorney, in fact, the ability to transact different things on your behalf. So if you were- So we have separate separate documents for 
okay, do you, you keep me plugged in or not? And then, okay, who, who's going to pay the bills from here, right? Who's going to pay okay. the bills? Who's going to um, sell my home? Who's going to work with Eric to buy and sell stocks? Who's going to change title to my account? Um, if the provision is inside it, who's going to gift to my children? So with financial powers of attorney, we want to make sure they're almost like kitchen sink documents, that they really have broad powers uh, for that agent agent to really do whatever they need to on your behalf. And one tip I have here, and this comes from many hard-learned lessons um, being in finance now, you know, over two decades. And that is not only do you want to have an attorney drafted power of attorney, you want to have one specifically from the financial financial institution that you work with. So sometimes banks or brokerages don't accept what is drafted by an attorney and they will say, uh, we know, need our document. We need our document. That seems kind of silly to me. So do you know why that is, or it just is? It probably stems from liability Okay, where the, you know, whatever bank brokerage doesn't want to put themselves on the line that the attorney drafted power of attorney covers specifically what this client is looking to do. Okay. So there are certain boxes to check sometimes on, uh, you know, institution powers of attorney, but you know, by having that, it's like belt and suspenders, you're going to be able to get whatever you need to done, not only at the institution you work with, but also elsewhere with, whether it's a real estate agent or, you know, you, you fill in the blank. So the takeaway here is, is just because you have your lawyer complete one of these documents for you mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're done. If you, you want to be extra, your, extra good. Yes, that's the case. You need to check with your bank and your brokerage to make sure they have their appropriate documents because they may have their own set. They probably do have their own set. Okay. And be smart about it. Let's right. cover all the bases. And, and this is a tip you're getting here. Uh, you probably won't hear it from your attorney in the attorney's office because they haven't been on the other side, which is transacting the business that needs to get done when you're in a situation um, where you have to either retitle accounts before someone's passing away or pay for medical care when someone's in the hospital and get money out of an account or a retirement account, let's say. Well, that's the advantage that we have here at the group is that we have someone like you mm-hmm. who's, who has seen it from both sides and you know how they come together. That's exactly right. So yep. that's important. So I have all, I went, I did all my documents, yes. did them 10 years ago. I threw them up on the shelf. They're gathering dust. I'm still surviving. <laughs> so we don't need all those, some of those documents, but obviously they're 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I need to dust them off every once in a while. Right. You do. And Typically, what I recommend to my clients is that they dust those off at least every three to five years. If you want to be super good about it, take them out every year when you do your financial review with your advisor. But at a minimum, you want to take them out three to five years and think through these questions. Number one, have my children gotten older? The answer, of course, is going to be yes. yes. Have they changed? If they are more responsible, if they recently got married, if have they, they cost you more? <laughs> have a child? Well, you know what? You might want to change the way you're leaving assets to them 
in the provisions of your will or your trust. Right. Life goes on, right? Life goes on. What about um, your situation? Are you remarried? Are you now divorced? Are you newly widowed? All of these life events which happen are going to dictate what we need to do with the provisions in our estate plan. So life is not static. So many of our clients will walk out of an attorney's office and think, oh, I can check this off my list. It's now done. Right. And that is true. But we have to make a tickler a few years out to start rethinking whether what we've done is still applicable in our life. Right. So our lives change. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't. That's that right. doesn't mean the world around us doesn't change either, right? Because right. we've just had tax reform, yep. you know, from federal level and state changes. They, I mean, it changes every single year, right? So we need to go back and see what the estate limits are and all that good yeah, stuff, so, right? So, you know, you had mentioned um, taxes when we were talking about the different documents. Oh, I cringe. Every you time know, you say that word. It's like a four-letter <laughs> word. Flinch. Don't flinch. Don't flinch, Taxes could be a four-letter word. This is true. But you know what? With the new Tax Reform Act uh, and the estate uh, exemption now being $11.2 million per person, it's not such a dirty word anymore. No. Because we have the ability to give away uh, quite an amount of money without getting hit by the 40% estate tax. And that's really a topic for another podcast. We can delve deeper into what that means from a planning perspective, but let me throw out a couple terms just to whet your appetite. So we have 22.4 million we can give as a couple. And the other thing is we have what's called portability and that's really sexy. We talked about estate planning being sexy. And, <laughs> and that has stuck with me since the last time you were on the show. I'm still trying to figure out how estate planning is sexy. You know how it's sexy? <laughs> Because when you have peace of mind and you have independence and you have financial security, you feel sexy and it is sexy. There you and go. And that's what we're trying to do here uh, by helping people. Okay. So we will agree that estate planning is sexy. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, Having your estate plan done is even sexier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've covered a lot of great things in your book and I don't want to give away the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, right? Cause we, you know, we want you to sell a whole bunch of books come the this fall. This is just a, a little part of it is, is talking about estate planning yeah. and being ready. Yeah. So we're running up to the end of the time that we have a lot of, but let me, let me squeeze in one more question here. So, so we named these five documents that are kind of, you know, the standard, we need this, 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 and this. How about those people who have special needs children or there's, there's something mm -hmm. else there yeah. that needs to be addressed? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And for those of you folks who have a child, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, or even a special friend that has unique and special needs, being ready uh, with your estate plan is even more important because you got to take care of this person. This is, you know, one of the loves of your life and they depend on you and you have to do right by your family. So there are different techniques out there for uh, providing for disabled children or special needs children. You know, some of the things that come to my mind, we have a lot of folks that have different 
uh, levels of autism. Mm -hmm. Um, we have, you know, different types of birth defects, things that happen during life. All of these kids are going to need some sort of trust or plan in place when their parent passes away. Uh, some of the ways we provide for them a life insurance Mm-hmm. is a way. Right. Uh, some kids are getting uh, state funding, federal funding, and there are specific types of trusts out there called special needs trusts, right. which allow that particular individual to continue getting the funding while also having some resources held in an irrevocable type trust that can be used on top of these different um, you know, state or federal provisions to help them get extra care. And so we have to design this in a certain way where everything is legal and above board. And that's going to take the skills of a particular estate planning attorney who knows how to do special needs trusts. Right. Right. Michelle, we've come up to about the time that we've been allotted for today. Again, thank you so much for coming on. And don't forget, the book is coming out in the fall. It's still, I still got me a widow's journey to finding love, happiness, and financial independence. And uh, she's telling us that estate planning is sexy. So we're going to take her word for it. Michelle, if someone would get, wants to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Well, they can call me right here at XML Financial Group. And uh, the number you have... The, the, the phone 301-770-5234. number. 301-770-5234. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the 301-770-5234 in your email. They want to email you questions, what have you. Be uh, mcooper at xmlfg.com. Michelle, thank you again so much for coming on today. This has been Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.